say the reason why they all want to be, they want to be named separately is because each one of them is such a profound geographical uh, feature on itself. And like, yeah, okay, but it still masks the truth that that's the primary water system. And at the beginning of where they call Ohio is where the four rivers come together. It's where Pittsburgh, which is a city culturally, which is at the epicenter of the blending of art and science, which is what I would say these these rivers represent, the Mon and the Allegheny, these different, we could look at it archetypically, of primordial art, primordial science, the coming together, that's like this, this birthplace into the Ohio which then becomes the Mississippi, which then dumps down into the Gulf of Mexico. So look at that as like a system, like a system of hierarchies of influence. And so then we tap into, we tap into to that explanation, what might be thought of as indigenous science or indigenous wisdom. And we'll be like, okay, well, what did they know these areas as? And they knew the area which predated that predated the spellcasting of Pittsburgh. Like that is a geographical function of where the rivers come together and all this stuff happened. They, it was known as the umbilical cord right. because there was, an, there was an understanding of this being a connection to, to the primary home, like a literal connection, not a symbolic connection, but, but on, a, on the level where there is no separation between literal and symbolism, it's all the same. Like, yes, it's all of those things. And so when we begin to then take in consideration the significance of the land that we call Pittsburgh, what's actually happening there, um, we begin, that's why I say like, it's a pilgrimage. We look at what was done, you know, the demystifying and the decoding of how that was done in Pittsburgh and specifically how it began with the, the disconnecting of people from home in a symbolic, magical way. And then the constant, the constant moving of people away from their homes. Uncle Mystic Mike, what's going on? Is that you, Mark? You bet. Calling again. Well, how have you been? I've been good. I just published from the 40th parallel to the RSS feed. I checked out some of your recent conversations with Ross Ben. Really, really insightful stuff, as usual. I love it. I, I, I'm going to be quite honest. Like, I've heard... I've heard that a couple times, and it's like nice to hear. Like people, it's like, hey, I just heard you and Roz's stuff, and it was like really, really good. And I think back, and I'm like, I had no freaking idea what we talked about. I, I didn't even think we talked about anything. So it's it's great to hear that. Like I just thought we were talking. Like I don't have any memories in those of our conversations. So I just know that we talked, and it was a lot of fun. Well, there is one that's sort of missing i don't know whatever happened to from the 40th parallel episode 13 maybe it's on your subscribe star or something maybe it's like a s subscribers only episode but i couldn't find it on youtube I don't, maybe you guys talked about covid or something maybe it was taken off yeah yeah it's not on ross's feed and it wasn't on yours so there's a gap huh all right all right we'll see if we you know what that's the first question like we talked about uh, you having both of us on, right, as a guest? Mm-hmm. 
So that's the first question. What, what happened in the missing 13? I'm pretty certain he will, uh, he will, uh, he may know what the topic of that conversation was. He might know the answer to this, <laughs> to this mystery. All right. Well, I'll put that at the top of my notes. So how, how has life been in the new place? You've been there for how long now? Is it two weeks? Feels like it. Yeah. It's been good. We, we had a couple visitors in the past few days. My friend came over yesterday with his girlfriend and today Tara's friend, Julia came over and yeah, it was, it's been nice. We finally have the place in, in, you know, looking good and whatnot to have guests over. So it's nice to, to do that. Cause where we were living before, you know, I would only I would invite my buddy Matt over, but that's only because he's known me since I was a, a kid. It wasn't exactly you know place to spend time with your friends in the grandma's basement, but yeah, it's it's cool. It's cool having our own place. It sounds like it's turning into a spot. <laughs> yeah, right. Like it's a spot. Like we need spots. Like everyone's gonna like like that's the whole idea of of of. Like the metaverse, right? They're trying to when when watching the that hour long sales pitch, which Zuckerberg did whenever that came out, like in October, um, they were like pitching this idea of like how everyone would like kind of have like a spot in the met in the metaverse. We'll go and we'll meet, you know, we'll go and we'll hang out there. We'd we'd, we'd like chill with all of our, our friends, and it'd be an avatar form. And there's a truth to that. There's a truth that people want to be like around their friends and they want to hang out. And, and places do have, have certain qualities, which is conducive for just like people being people around other people. And particularly if it's an intimate bunch. And so it sounds like you, you're, you, you've got the makings of a spot at your place. And that sounds so much more appealing than hanging out in a, a metaverse spot. Yeah. It's funny you bring up that, juxtaposition because I had a I had a Patreon sort of Zoom meeting set up for last night. I've been doing this for the past few months where once a month I'll put a Zoom link on the Patreon and anybody who supports my podcast can come in and join in the conversation. And since it was, you know, 420, which speaking of it, I just said that f exactly four minutes and 20 seconds into our conversation. Look at that. But, but yeah, I had, I had that planned and my friend Matt and his girlfriend were still at our apartment and I didn't want to leave them waiting for a long time. And, and, you know, Matt seemed open to it. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, let's turn this on. And, you know, they're all sitting kind of next to my podcast table anyway. So I, I opened up the Zoom meeting and there are like eight or nine people waiting to get the meeting started. So I turned the speaker on and they kind of hung out. It was like a half in a Zoom meeting, half in in the room uh, and we were all hanging out. So that was fun. Hmm. I bet it was. Yeah, it was cool. You know, it's a little it's a little awkward when there's, you know, a bunch of faces on a screen, you know, and they're all talking, but... Yeah, it's cool. I'm getting the hang of how to sort of be the ringleader for those things too because everybody comes with their own perspective and certain people have bigger personalities than others and you want to let everybody have a chance to share their opinion and 
but we got to meet some new people last night. This guy, uh, Tyler, is a big fan of the show. He lives in Canada, and uh, he's a farmer. He was talking to me about Gunjiwamp and how he's visited the megalith here in Connecticut, and he wants to hear us talk more about that kind of stuff. He really liked when we were talking about that in the early teens right. of the episode. Yeah. But, but yeah, we it, got some it, good feedback on the show from, from the f- supporters. That sounds, that, that sounds good. That sounds good. Can I tell you about... Yeah, I was just about to ask, what's, what's going on with you? What's new, Mike? So today is Thursday. Today is Thursday. And tomorrow I leave with Jesse the Mage. And we're going out to Pittsburgh. It's about a five-hour trip. Oh, I got so much to tell. I got so many good stories. So we're going out to Pittsburgh. And the reason we're going to Pittsburgh is there are two guys, Khufu and John, who live in Pittsburgh. And they were very, they've been very inspired by Ross Ben's work and what he did in Philadelphia. And they're like, listen, we're doing, we did the same thing in Pittsburgh and it's wild and we're going to do a weekend and we're going to tours and presentations and would love it if you came out and you, maybe you could, you could look at Pittsburgh and you could share some. So he was like, yeah. And then he's like, well, what do you think about, about my friend Mike? And they're like, yeah, it'd be great if he did too. So, so I'm going to come and, and participate in this this kind of decoding of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And uh, I don't know. If you ever wait to, like, if you, if you have an assignment, do you ever wait to last minute? Always. Always. <laughs> so this is kind of like an assignment, right? This is not the first time I've done this. Like, you know, I'm not like, I, this is not, this is not new for me. I've been very, very common. I, I don't know. I like it when, when there's a little bit of a little bit of tension in the air. And so so I'm working on the presentation and I didn't really know what I was gonna do because this isn't how I normally work. Like it's not so much like like, you know, I'm a I'm a trick pony and like, you know, point point my attention on something and then I'll go and tell like, you know, a magical mystery story. And this kinda it it, it was kind of it's situated like that, I suppose. It's because I don't really know anything about Pittsburgh per se, other than the fact that that it's in Pennsylvania, and and I'm aware of of just some general facts about it. Do you ever so, feel like people who ask you to do? And I hope I'm not putting you on the spot, but do you ever feel like people who ask you to do their podcasts are almost sort of expecting that that you'll like kind of dazzle them and be like, "Oh, you live in Oregon. Well, let me tell you about Oregon." I don't. Uh, I don't think so. That it's never occurred to me. It's huh. never occurred to me that someone would think that, and they definitely haven't asked. If I play my cards right, I just talk about whatever I I would like to talk about. But but then we're so um, where was I with with the story? Oh, so that in Pittsburgh. So I, I didn't really know what the presentation was going to be. I had a general sense, like maybe about a month or two ago, like a general sense it was going to go in a general direction. Like there was one data point which kind of was pulling on my internal compass. I'm like, yeah, there's something there, but I didn't really know what it was. And in the last 24 hours, like it's all come together. I'm like, oh, that's what this is about. And it's a very 
it's a it's a fun experience. You know, it's still novel enough. It's happened few enough times in my life that that I'm still learning a lot about it, but I'm beginning now to realize that it was not necessarily like a spontaneous sort of of occurrence. It, it is more so, you know, it's a it's a repeatable process. And so discovering the 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 story of Pittsburgh has been quite fun. Like the the formula is is becoming clearer to you like it might not have felt like a formula when it was central to the original place where you discovered it but now that you're seeing the parallels pardon my pun on the pittsburgh you know side of pennsylvania it's like it's kind of is it would you say it's kind of like a formula well yeah so uh, in a general sense um so i'll use the sus like really everything which is in in like the Lancaster Susquehanna River 40s parallel like that that just kind of came from me living there and being curious and and having actual feet on the street and, and an actual experience and then I guess it spilled over to it spilled over to Herkimer a little bit and Cooperstown and definitely and definitely uh, Scranton. Not so much in Baltimore. Like, I talked about it, but I didn't really get, like, you know, deep into it. But this Pittsburgh thing, it really, really struck a chord. And I started looking at at things. And and what I learned primarily in doing the research from these different places is, like, I just kind of – I'm not certain what I'm looking for, but when I find it, I'm going to know it. And then I might not quite understand it until I keep on – just following down that path. Usually there's like a starting point and, and with, with Pittsburgh, I mean, this is where it's so crazy. So I almost, I, I, it's, it's smoke, it's smoke research is, or whisper research. That's a way to describe it. There's certain things which you can't really verify. It's not really real but it's the most real you've got. So you, so, and it's fragile and it can disappear very quickly and easily. So you don't want to really scare it away. So that's what I mean by, by whisper, whisper research. And so a lot of the, the Talaki L stuff that I've talked about before, like I would call that kind of like whispery research because it's a lot of kind of like, hearsay but there's something there and there's something that like that's what I mean and so this this begins with the story of 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 the people who lived in the area which we call Pittsburgh prior to it being spell casted that that part of the land as Pittsburgh when it was known as something else and the people who lived there, like they were kind of known as something else. And it was this, this understanding that the area was known as the umbilical cord. Now I do remember and forgive me, I forget their names, but I do remember hearing them talk about the Ohio river 
being the biggest tributary to the Mississippi, hence that being the navel is what they called it, right? What's the navel? The Ohio or the Mississippi? Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Well, huh. that general area. Yeah, at the beginning right. of your right. Uh, right. from the fortieth. So 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 okay, that's real <laughs> that's really interesting. So it has this connotation of umbilical cord connection to mother, womb, birth, all of those types of, of qualities, right? Like they're they're all kind of implied into that word, the umbilical cord. Mm-hmm. Right? You follow my logic? Yeah. Okay. So in like the umbilical cord, like it, it, it serves, like all of that kind of like serves, the, the, it's, an, it's an important secondary player because the primary player in this sort of story, if you will, will be both the child and the womb. And the intermediary is the, is the umbilical cord. And it's, it's, in many ways, the umbilical cord and the womb are interchangeable. And the womb, in a metaphorical sense, but also in a literal sense, is the home, right? It's everybody's first home. Like being, uh, you know, as I said, both literal and metaphorical, like the womb is the home, like that's where, where you know, you grow inside of another person, inside your mother, you grow there. And so the likening of this particular area, this particular area as having this womb or home sort of connection between human beings and earth is like, you know, that's, that's the starting point. Okay. And this, the story, so this began to me, this was, this was given to me by like, I don't know. It feels like two layers deep of Pittsburgh Rasta elders. Like, you know, I, 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 I was, I, I heard one, I heard it mentioned by one person and I asked about it. They're like, well, let me go and put you in touch with the source who I learned it from. This guy's like, you know, he's, he he knows he knows what 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 we're calling Pittsburgh is built upon. So it began with that, and I was able to go and see how there are very very strong mystical, undeniable connections to the archetype of home to this area. And then also we can then go and see the flip side of how this area has been spell casted and this, this immensely powerful energy. And this is in a, and I go and I demonstrate it in very tangible ways is then inverted within the, you know, whether we call it the, the ball consciousness system or the matrix or whatever we want to call it that, like we can see how it's being siphoned and usurped into this other into this other realm. 
Now, when you say it represents this home archetype, what can you expand on that? Because I know the connections to the womb and but Pittsburgh itself. Do you think? All right, totally. Okay, so so Pittsburgh is the land which was is where the is where the what you think of like geographically Pittsburgh, like that is that is what's known as the whether you want to call it the navel or the umbilical cord. But there's a womb sort of connection being implied just in that, in that whether we want to call it a mythology or understanding, like that exists. And this is what I meant by the whisper, the whisper research. So I'm gonna I'm gonna begin with just that on that level is just a point of reference. Okay. All right. All right. So. The reason why that's important is if you understand the human condition, like what it is to be a human being, particularly on this inner world, whether we call it psychological level, home is of immense significance, both literally and metaphorically. To create a stable internal um emotional world or foundation in which someone's emotional world is built upon, like the most basic requirement is a stable home life. Now what stable is can, can vary and stable can often be like consistent, you know, like stability could be like, if you're a traveling people, like you can have stability in, in always moving, but it's consistent. But like, stability the more stable the more predictable the more calm the home life for the first 30 days 30 weeks 30 months of a human being's life that really sets an internal compass in terms of being at home being at ease and then that could be carried with someone or or not but 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 home is immensely significant, and then all that it, it, it entails. Like the entire idea also of conquerors taking people off of their ancestral homelands. So the lands in which they, their family, their, their, their genetic and their cultural predecessors, this is where they were on the land which supported them because that is the natural relationship between the human being and the baseline reality is this feedback loop. When that is disconnected, like there's a reason why they do that because there is, it's an immensely powerful. If you want to disempower a person, you do that. You disconnect them from home. So when we're beginning to see home being tied to a specific area, at least we begin to t- go and take notice. And particularly if it's coming from a, a source in which, okay, let me, let me go and, and let's, let's, let's lean into this. So, okay, that's our starting point, Mark. So, all right. So there's a place right outside of Pittsburgh. It's like 20 miles outside of Pittsburgh. I think it's called Meadowbrook Shelter Rock. And it's said to be the archaeological site of human habitats that's the oldest in the new world. They're saying this is the first home based upon the archaeology. Now, I don't believe in the archaeology, so I want to be clear with that, but I do believe that these are the stories that are presented. 
and the presented the story is like, oh, this is where it began in the New World. This is twenty six thousand years ago. We found we found a home site. Yeah, they were totally like like there was they were they were living in here. So the archaeological history also confirms that there is a a connection with the first home. The first home is the most significant home. It sets the stage from home. And if we also want to go and look at a another cultural phenomenon, and we're gonna I'm gonna back into this in a minute because in a way this is inversion, but you have to realize the inversion is still within the truth. So truth can always be found in the inversion as well. If you're someone who's like into architecture, particularly residential architecture, like you know the different styles and like you care about those sort of things. You know, there's a there's a there's a handful of houses, historical houses, which are which are very well known. You know, that could be anything like the Biltmore in 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 Ashland, North Carolina, because it was the biggest single family home and it's this grand like, you know, Vanderbilt sort of uh, house or or the Newport mansions. Like we often think about these these where we we've been told about these houses of the of the of the of the the wealthy of the gilded age, you know, whatever these buildings would be. Or maybe sometimes like, you know, there's the Winchester Mystery House um, out in in California outside of San Francisco, which, you know, has some mystical qualities. But there's one house which I think kinda like is best known, particularly for people who know about houses and this is their thing, as Maybe the it might not be everyone's fam- favorite house, but they would recognize it as the example of the finest blending in which you know a modern human housing structure could interact with the natural world. And this house is called Falling Water by Frank Lloyd Wright. Like it's like the house. Like, you know, it's almost like stereotypical of like, if you're going to go and pick an architectural house to say, this is the finest house ever crafted by American architects. This is it. Where is it? It's probably about like 20 minutes outside of Philadelphia or outside of Pittsburgh. So we're beginning to see house and home show up in so many different places. So that is one level of what I'm going to go is an an indication of maybe something being intrinsic to an area, just like there are certain qualities that are intrinsic to the human body. There are parts that are intrinsic within the, within the body of the earth. So this is pointing to home and what home represents. So now we're going to go and we're going to think about the creation of Pittsburgh as an entity, a municipality of governances and laws and rules and avenues and streets and structures which are affecting, interfering, driving, drawing natural energies and qualities. And that's true with any any sort of human interaction with the landscape, whether that be mound building or whether that be, you know, the the the, the what we build or what we call city. So that happened on Pittsburgh, and 
Pittsburgh is kind of like you know it's 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 kind of the middle of nowhere. Like yeah, it's 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 a, it is it is on the beginning of the Ohio River, but if you look at it kind of related to to other parts of our modern world, it it is kind of remote. It, it's not readily accessible as maybe some of the other eastern cities. It's not particularly big. I would say like the, <clears throat> you know, the downtown might have a population of, of 300,000. That's not a particularly large city. Yet despite that, from a cultural value system, it is exemplary beyond its, its, its size or location, you know, it shouldn't be as awesome as it is. Like, you know, as a sports town, like, you know, they won the most Super Bowls and, and, and Stanley Cups. Like, usually that's limited to the larger cities with, like, larger with larger populations or energy or, or total, totality of human energies. The, the, the largest company, the first billion-dollar company was in Pittsburgh. That's U.S. Like, you know, we've got all of these, the Carnegie fa uh, foundations. Like, that's what really started the foundation movement that came out of there. There's so many things that are coming out of Pittsburgh. And we could see, like, from this, and their cultural, like, you know, from the cultural perspective, they're, like, awesome things. Like, philanthropy is awesome. Like, you know, of course this is great. Winning the Super Bowl is awesome. And then the blending of technologies, like, you know, Facebook's virtual reality labs is headquartered in, 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 in Pittsburgh. And Carnegie Mellon was like one of the, the beginning points of creating this smart city concept. Like it's all coming out of Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is the home of urban renewal. If you're familiar with like the history of cities throughout the 50s and the 60s and the moving and displacement of peoples all around that came out of Pittsburgh and then the whole gentrification process of what they call the creative class of the 2000s that came out of Pittsburgh and then the smart cities that's coming out of Pittsburgh and then we've got the metaverse with the VR labs which from Facebook which is headquartered in Pittsburgh it's all in Pittsburgh and it's the origin, and that's all from the inversion. And we could see where it's originally coming from. And we can see there is a true connection with home there. Whatever home symbolizes, you know, that's to me what 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 I'm seeing is unhappening with me and Ross and talking about these things is people are beginning to understand their natural surroundings in a different perspective. It's not necessarily to figure out like, you know, this means this and that means that it's more so it's like, well, what exactly is underneath this? Where am I? Because I saw the world, which they were creating. Let's understand more deeply. What are the more intrinsic qualities? So we can use, we can be tapped into that as well for the world, which is also being created. Well said. Wow. Yeah, and I'm looking at a Pittsburgh on the map right now, and there is just a, a network of rivers that you can see 
come from Pittsburgh, from that area. Obviously, it's on the Appalachian, sort of the north end of the Appalachian Mountains there. And, and then that Ohio River starts near Pittsburgh and goes all the way, making the border between Ohio and uh, West Virginia and Kentucky and Indianapolis or Indiana and, and Kentucky. And then it goes and meets the Mississippi River at uh, Cairo, Illinois, next to Mound City, and another place that has a sort of interesting name, Wick Wickif. Which, oh, uh, you, you definitely got the the, the Hoffman, right? With the wick, with the wick, <laughs> right? So, so, so let's let's. I want to go back to what you were first saying with with the rivers. Uh, the Ohio doesn't start near it. The Ohio starts. There's a confluence of two rivers: the Allegheny and the the Mon. And right at the downtown. At the point of the downtown, the Golden Triangle. Wow. And then that is where the Ohio begins. Like all the energy goes there. Yeah, no, so I'm seeing there, that right now. If you zoom in, is, it's like a there's even like a fountain or something to accentuate the. That's exactly where we're going to go on our tour. Like wow. that is the spot, and underneath that is within within like kind of like Pittsburgh lore. There's this mythological fourth underground river. And when you go research it, like it, it sounds like really fun and exciting and research it. And then, and then it's like this big buzzkill. It's like, Oh no, it's, 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 it's just sand and dirt. It's a, it's an aqueduct. It's nothing exciting, nothing to see here folks. But the folks that know, they're like, no, there's an underground river here. There's an underground river. There's a reason why, there's a reason why this is where the first house is. There's a reason why the petroglyphs, that are found in this area are so, there's so many. There's a reason why this entire region, you know, we think of Ohio and Pittsburgh is being separate because they've got different state names or municipality names, but like where all of those Ohio mounds are, is it's in the general vicinity, that whole area, you know, there's, there's something very, very special there. And, there is a, you know, is, 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 I guess, what, what was the, who was the guy you were talking about earlier from Canada? The farmer? Travis. Travis? Yeah, that, I think that, why? <laughs> I would, I just want to call him by name. Yeah, I hope Travis. it was Travis so, and not Trevor, but yeah. If it's Trevor, I'm sorry, Trevor, we're going to call you Travis. Well, which is crazy because there are these two these two brothers that went to that were that went to school, my high school, and, and they're older than me, but they were named Trevor and Travis. But anyway, he wanted to he wanted to talk more about some of the like the megaliths or more of like the the earth stuff. I I think he's reflecting a greater homecoming or sense of return, which many of us are feeling which is I want to begin to, un to really understand the true history and relationship which we have with, with where we're finding ourselves living. And it, it was, you know, it, it, it was Tyler V. I think the last name V put the, <laughs> put the Trevor or Travis in my mind, but it's Tyler V. Shout out to Tyler. He emailed us uh, a message. Thank you, Tyler. <clears throat> but yeah, so, that's my thought. 
What do you think, Mark? I'm gonna. I'm, I'm eating a little snack right now. I'm getting a little bit hungry. I'm certain that's not that's kind of poor form in the podcast world. But no, it's all right. This is perfect for us because we're just two dudes having a conversation. Exactly, exactly. And I don't mind. I think people listening don't mind either. It's a little more personal that way. And if you do mind, well, go listen to a more professional podcast. I doubt they're talking about this cool stuff that we're talking about. But, yeah, I, I think just the connection of places named Mound City, too. I noticed there's one outside of Pittsburgh that has, like, a mound. I saw it before. I'm not finding it now. But, yeah, it, it feels like what we're seeing is sort of like a an ancient culture that was laid over, you know, with this archaeological site saying that this is a significant place for whatever reason. I was recently looking at a book that I got called Giants on Record, where Jim Newman or Jim Vieira and Hugh Newman look through the newspaper records and they find all this evidence for giant skeletons. And in Hartford, Connecticut, they found a giant skeleton. The newspaper reports it as you know, relics from an old old city found uh, copper, bronze, and other rudimentary tools next to a giant Indian skeleton uh, underneath a gravel pit in in Hartford. So yeah, this this is spanning far and wide, and I know they published their book within the past few years. So yeah, it is it is a resurgence. I'm sorry, I, I'm chewing. I'm just that's all right. I'm just hungry. This is such <laughs> this is such an amazing night here. It's bombed me out. I'm sorry, I don't mean to change the subject, but I'm just I just got caught up in, in the moment overlooking um this this park and I had moved in here in the middle of winter and I sat in the same spot every night and seeing it become spring. Mm. and seeing it from this perspective down uh, on top of it looking directly down has been has been has been a real I've never had this experience before quite like this before it's been amazing and um, on this porch which I'm sitting we put, we put out bird seed on the on the top rail and it's maybe like five, ten feet away from where I sit. And all the birds, like the wild birds, they come and they eat it. Now, if I go and I sit down, they'll fly away. But like, but they're always like right outside on the periphery. And that's what I think we're 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 all kind of like being called back to, hmm. like just an appreciation of the of the the natural natural movements because we've gotten so disconnected from it yeah i i mean i see that reflected in our new surroundings we went from living in a basement with no light to having all these nice windows and now plants in the house and on the other side of my laptop when i'm sitting at you know the podcast helm in the studio i have a window right on the other side of the laptop that shows a, a swamp the beaver brook that i was telling you about so i've been noticing while i'm working during the day the birds flying by and, and stuff them once it gets a little warmer i'm sure that window will be wide open but 
but yeah. How long, how long has it been since you have not had a window? <laughs> well, yeah, when we were in the basement, I mean, geez, it was like every, was I guess that- the first 25 or so episodes of this podcast, I was in that basement. So, uh, so yeah. Was that a year ago? Well, how, how long, how long were you in that basement? Yeah, less than a year. It was, it was from August to to April. Yeah, so. Okay, so that's that's kind of like being in solitary confinement, <laughs> right? Ta- you got Tara's no here. She says thank you, like <laughs> as if but you're validating. Like re- <laughs> I know. That's like so. So, but you went through it. Yeah. And so, what I heard in your voice, because it was it was so sweet. It was so sweet. Like I'm like literally. I, <laughs> I'm waxing I'm waxing poetic about this this literally billion dollar view and you spoke with the sincerity which was which was I think more in awe than myself and you're like and I have a window <laughs> and you can only have that appreciation like that is a gift to behold to like really like to appreciate something so basic and and I guarantee there's someone somewhere listening to the show and they're just like sick of their view. But if only they could know what it would be like to be in that, in the, in your solitary confinement for nine months, like you, you would, you would look outside of that window with the same degree, which you described the one which you are experiencing now, Mark. Yeah. The grass is always greener. Yeah. It's, it's a lot, it's a lot more, welcoming and pleasant sight than the cement wall that was <laughs> on the other side of my laptop for the past few months so yeah yeah with that in mind it is definitely it's definitely really nice i mean i'm sure in a year or so i'll be like ah, i need to get out of this town and be somewhere more wild which is kind of sounds like what you're about to do going to pittsburgh going into i mean it is a city i i've always known about it because my mom's been a fan of the steelers her whole her whole life she loves football she always roots for the steelers but it it is kind of like that outlier you know it's like this big city in the middle of you know nowhere i've driven north of pittsburgh and i've driven south of pittsburgh and it's very i've never been in pittsburgh i'm almost certain i've never been in pittsburgh but i've I've driven past it and it's yeah it's it's kind of in the middle of nowhere like you say you know the the middle part of Pennsylvania is really just like mountains and farms that's the majority of Pennsylvania yeah well yeah that's why what, what, what do they call it they call it Pennsylvania <laughs> right yeah between, I've been in between when you look at you said you were looking at the map of of Pittsburgh, right? Were you looking at it like a Google map? Yeah, I'm still on it. Do you have it in terrain or do you have it in street view? Terrain. Oh, well, is this terrain? It's not street view like, or terrain. It's the other one. Satellite. Yeah. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, that's what I meant by terrain. So you have satellite. Do you have the labels on, or did you take them off? They're on. Here. And how zoomed in are you? Can you see all of Pennsylvania, or you just closed in on on Pittsburgh? I'm on Pittsburgh right now, but I'm kind of scrolling back and forth as we're talking. All right, so 
I, 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 I want to hear what you, you say about this because the more I look at it, the more I'm just like, I just scratch my head. So scroll out so you can kind of see maybe most of Pennsylvania. All right. Okay. And do you know how to take off the labels? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, you click that, like the your option, and then you click on labels. So, go you. So once you do that, you should be able to see the part of Pennsylvania where you're looking at the terrain, you're looking at the green for where the mountains are, and it just has this strange sort of like it almost looks like a I would call it a quilt. Does it look like a quilt to you? The curvature of the greens. So if you're not certain what I'm talking about, then you're not looking at it, and I haven't gotten you to the right place yet because it is so evident. You're like, oh yeah, 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 that's what he's talking about. Yeah, no, because I it, haven't, I haven't taken the labels off yet because I'm using DuckDuckGo, and it's not exactly. A... Ah, okay. Well, then keep the, then then don't don't worry about the labels. You should still be able to see the nate on the terrain. You should be able to see what. The now, rolling. Yeah, I do kind of notice it's almost I, my mind kind of sees it as like a, a rippled flag, but yeah. Yes, that's that's a perfect way. That's how it's often described. That it's like if you took a rug and you kind of like bunched up one end. Hmm. Like, what exactly is that? That's that that section right there. That's where we find like the the. That's what they're saying is the oldest, the oldest mountain chain. Okay. Those are your, those are your Appalachians. That strange shape. And it, that's like right where Mount, like that. Mount Pleasant. Am I am I too far off when I when I'm looking at Mount Pleasant? I don't I don't know if you can see. I I would think where's Mount Pleasant? It looks like it's right on right on I seventy going through this mountain chain that you're describing. It's kind of like, it's like, looks, I have it switched to satellite mode now. It looks pretty urbanized, and then it gets to this point where it's like, you said, like a carpet, like rip, and then the mountains start to form east of it. But the first two sort of ridges have this like, yeah, like you're saying, look to it. But that's where it says Mount Pleasant, some other towns along it would be Uniontown, Connellsville. Youngstown, Pennsylvania, Blairsville, they're all kind of along this ridge that's just east of Pittsburgh in the greater like Pittsburgh area. Hmm. But I might be off of, of what you're describing because Pittsburgh, it's like this web or network of rivers and roads, it looks like. I mean, there's just a ton of rivers around here. There's a lot of rivers there, that is for certain. Wow. But yeah, it definitely has a a quality that you don't see in other places. I mean, I can just go north to northern Pennsylvania there, you know, kind of where the New York border is, and it, it's much different. The texture is like more, I, I, maybe random would be the word, but it's not as uniform as it is right here where it's like, looks like it's been like pushed almost like by a wave you know very very much so and 
you know Pittsburgh has a really strong Yale slash Skull and Bone connection as well. Tell us more. Well, there's the 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 Hines family is there. Mm, yeah, we've talked about them. You, you... And we it, and we've talked about that considerably, and so that is one element. But the one I want to talk to you about right now is a guy by the name of Richard King Mellon. Okay. And Richard, he's in the Mellon family. And so the Mellon family, the Hines family, and the Carnegie, those are kind of like the, the big names. And it's interesting, like they, they all kind of came about, like became well wealthy in the 1860s, 1870s, like that time period. So... Richard King Mellon was alive, you know, in the 40s and 50s. And he was of a Mellon heir, multi-generation, multi, I mean, the third generation probably since they were a uh, well-to-do family name. And he was, there's a, there's a picture of him on the cover of Time magazine. And so you're familiar with that there used to be a, a magazine called Time, correct? Yeah, and uh, Henry Luce, the founder, was Skull and Bones. Exactly. And so do you have an understanding of the influence what Time used to have on American psyche? I mean, I, I, I think it still did up until a couple of years ago when, like, print kind of went south but yeah I, re right. I remember like the you know time every year would have like their person of the year that was always totally, something totally. that was exactly. talked about and in the zeitgeist so when it was in its heyday it would probably be like i don't know like 30s 40s 50s when there was very little competition for media like, you know, we're talking about Time Magazine a decade ago, man, time of the year, but there's still like a thousand cable channels which you could go and, and watch TV and there's a million magazines and books and all that. But like back 50 years or in the 1950s or 40s, there's just like less things which you could capture your attention. So they, so anything that was out there held a greater, held a greater control. Its influence was wider. And so time like the Henry Luce, the Henry Luce empire of media was immensely strong and, 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 and powerful. Like that, you know, arguably it's probably never gone away like the, but, but with what he represents and how he used that particular um, vehicle to introduce into the minds of the co of the collective like certain ideas so we go and we see this richard king mellon they have a picture of him on time magazine and there's just saying and it's got this big golden triangle behind him and the reason why he's on there is they're selling urban renewal to the american people and they're saying, this guy is it, this guy. He, and at the same year that they put that out, was also a Henry Luce vehicle was called 
Fortune magazine. It was kind of like, I mean, it was for people who are rich, you know. It was called Fortune, but it wasn't so much about the people who are rich. Certainly, they would go and enjoy to read about their rich friends. It was more so for people who idolized and wanted to be rich. You know, those are the people who are really going to be reading it. And so they, this, it was in 1957, they put out for the first time the Fortune 100 Wealthiest People in America. And, you know, this guy, Paul, or J. Paul Getty was number one. He was the first person, the highest ranked on this list. And then uh, next was the Mellon family, including this King Richard or Richard King. And it was this one-two punch of, of through the skull and bones vehicle, which really told and sold America about this thing for, for urban renewal, which was basically we're going to go and raise, uh, and maybe rightfully slow because it was in horrible condition, but we're going to get rid of one life which people lived, and then we're going to build these huge government housing high rises, and the world's going to be like pretty and nice. And they did that all in the 50s and uh, early 60s, and then that became the sort of monstrosities of, of, of existence, which was forced upon in high density to people like in that time frame. Like that was a skull and bones sales job. And he was this King Richard was the was the man who was behind it. He said, I'm going to put my money behind this because we need to do this in America, and I'm going to go and make my hometown, Pittsburgh, be the first place where this is done. And then it was done in Pittsburgh, and then it was done in all the cities throughout, you know, the United States. And undoubtedly, it was done in, in New Haven. I mean, that was a big part of what initially really kind of that ticked me off, but like it did kind of, it, it ticked me off, but it also kind of like keyed me into understanding what this was all about. I mean, I've, I think I've even said this to you on, on the podcast before how new Haven, the interstate literally carves the city between, you know, the haves and the haves nots, you know, and you could see it. If you look at the map, like where these two highways cross New Haven and create these like little sections where, you know, it's, it's the have nots. It's it's definitely not a place where I would want to live or, you know, spend much time. I'm probably pretty certain it would, <laughs> it would be similar to what you're seeing in some parts of Baltimore, but, but yeah, I'm wondering, so you're, you're going to Pittsburgh and how long are you going to be there? Mm, I'll probably go home on Sunday night. Okay. So now, if anyone's listening, I don't know if this is going to be out in time. Well, if and this is, this is why I'm asking, because I'm wondering maybe, you know, cause I, I, I hate to do this, but I have a, a podcast that's scheduled and I don't want to cut this short. I'm wondering maybe we do, if you have time, either a call while you're still in Pittsburgh or Monday, and we'll either put both of these together or do like a part one, part two. I like that. Let's do that. So we can maybe pick up where we left off here while you're in Pittsburgh, boots on the ground sort of vibe. But yeah, I, I don't want to, I don't want to cut you off. And I also want to continue 
this skull and bones conversation as well because it definitely relates but but yeah i do have to do have to wrap this up in like five or ten minutes is there anything you want to get off before we wrap up is there anything i interjected that's still on the tip of your tongue So, I, I what your description of the the highway and the slicing and the dicing that that's part of what all of this is, and that like you know what that does with the energy of New Haven as you describe it. You felt it a certain way. And you felt like you know almost like slighted. I would imagine too. Like there's like a like there's all these different ways in which city planning has actual effects on experiential living like don't think that does not happen like that's what happens and like when you know that you do that purposefully and that was done purposefully and that was done purposefully on that spot which is known as the home that's why pittsburgh hits it out of the park so many times right because they are on, like, that is a real spot. Like, there's one thing to go and say, like, that's an interesting story, Mike, but, but how can you demonstrate it? Like, go and look at it. Like, it's, 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 it, it, it's uncanny how many exemplary things came out of Pittsburgh. And go and look at a whole bunch of other cities of 300,000 and see if there is that consistency. And you'll see there isn't. Wow. Well, and so and so we want to go and recognize that as we go and we walk the land. It's like this is where we're walking. It's not like the Pittsburgh like go Steelers. It's like the Steelers. The people love their team because they love where they actually are. They just don't even realize it, right? Because it's all been spellcast. So we will pick up in Pittsburgh. I think it'll be a lot of fun, Mark. And I'll tell you what I think when I'm out there. Because I've never been there. Right on, yeah. I'm excited to, to hear your take. And uh, for people listening, looks like you'll be uh, hearing that right now. So cool. Cool for you. <laughs> Hello. (laughs) May I please speak to Mystic Mark? Is he available to converse? Yeah, and to convert. What's a religion that ails you? (laughs) Well played. Well played. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. How How was Pittsburgh? I'm refreshing. Well, I guess I can't really say I'm refreshing. I'm sort of uh, going back to... The Pittsburgh Decoded episode and finishing it up, but that was 
prior to your awesome trip this weekend. So how was that? So how was that? It was an awesome trip this weekend. It was immensely different than, but I guess I went down without any sort of expectation. Like I didn't really think anything above it, about it. I'm like, I'll just show up and I'll just go with the flow. I had a little bit of an idea of what I wanted to do with my presentation, but like, you know, and I, and I created uh, what I thought was a really good presentation. And then I went down there and then the stuff happened and it was really different than what I thought it would be, but I didn't really think of anything. And I don't know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a better person for it. How about that? How about that for cryptic? Okay. Well, I'm interested in Pittsburgh after hearing how it was described by Ross, Ben, the other gentleman who also goes by Ross, I don't remember what Ross follows. Naeem. Ross, Ross Naeem. Naeem. Okay. And I think the other gentleman's name was Khufu or Kofu, something along those lines. I, I <laughs> apologize if they're listening back. And then someone by the name of John. But they all sounded uh, very, very inspired by, you know, this same sort of energy. And what I found really interesting was... Although they, although they were listening to you guys on From the 40th Parallel, they hadn't read Ross's book, but sort of took up the same sort of investigation seemingly intuitively. So it, I don't know. It kind of adds to this, this hypothesis we've been creating here that there's something, you know, very inspiring, a wave of, of landscape curiosity and people sort of seeing where the metaphysics come into the landscape. Did you, did you see the episode where it began with the song, the 40th parallel? I, well, as I was editing it, I noticed that, but I didn't listen to it. No, I should have. I didn't, that was for the decoding. That was for the, the episode that seemed like it was about Columbus, the Columbus loop. Or is there, yes, it may have been. I, I it may have been about that. But now, is that there, Columbus, Ohio, or is there some? That is Columbus, Ohio. Correct. Okay. So there, there are a whole bunch of, of ways to go, and I'm really excited to have this like this platform that you and I have right here, Mark, because we're going to kind of unpack. We're going to unpack this weekend. Okay. And that's yeah. I mean, we're picking up technically for people who are listening to this right now. They just heard the first part of this conversation that we had. I believe it was either Thursday or Friday. So it was, you know, like the day before you left. So maybe Friday. And, uh, and yeah, I, I felt like we were about to get into some of the Pittsburgh stuff. And I thought, you know what, let's just talk about it afterwards. Once Mike has a lot more to say about it, at least firsthand experience stuff to say. So here we are in the second so part of this conversation. And I don't even remember anything. <laughs> Me neither. I mean, that, which makes it kind of interesting because if you're listening to this, it's probably uh, a continuous sort of like from that to this. But but I don't have any recollection, neither do you of what was said. So, right. And I've had a right. lot of other things on my mind in between. So this is kind of like, uh, yeah, <laughs> we're going into this cold for sure, at least on my end. Well, I think that's the best way to do it. So... So, okay, so I, and, and the reason I, I'm, I'm pausing because there's so many ways in which, in which I can, I can kind of like, or so there's so many different layers. There's so many different layers to the story. So on Friday, I leave Baltimore. I go up to Jesse the Mage's house 
And he's like, all right, we're going to drive to, we're going to drive to Pittsburgh. And we start going the, it's about a four and a half hour car trip. And it's, it's basically due West from where we were. And for the first part, we were driving on a relative, not a highway, a two lane road. And it's kind of fun because it's a much more personable way to go about, to go about an area because you're up close and personal with how people live and you can see all sorts of stuff, but it did take a while. And it was, it was, it was going up and over a bunch of the mountains in this 1996 Ford Explorer, you know, and it was, it was like this, this ride there. And I'm just kind of like getting into the, the mindset of one, I'm giving a presentation on, on stuff I've never, you know, I'm, I'm not exactly as familiar as what I would normally present. You know, if there's something I'm going to present, it's going to be driven internally as opposed to something being brought to me mm. to and, look at. And is it worth clarifying for maybe people who've never been to Pennsylvania that you're dri- when you say you're going west, you're you're driving over the Appalachian Mountains, pretty much, right? It, that that's exactly right. Thank you so much for saying that. So yes, yeah, so it's like a cross section across the Appalachian Mountains, and so the Appalachian Mountains more or less go north to south, and so we're going right across it. So you're going up and over, up and over, and it could be treacherous. I've driven over the Appalachians mostly the north section and i mean you see some tractor trailers off the side of cliffs you know that they've never been able to pull off the side of a cliff i mean it's it's a steep mountain where we were it was not quite as steep as on the northern side but it was still like it was still like but it's really kind of like picture a back road and two lanes and it's like kind of meandering through like the woods and it is pretty Deep. I mean, it is much, much, it's much, much steeper than, than not being in the Appalachians, but, but there aren't the, there aren't the places where the, this, the tractor trailers have, have run off the road. It's not a, it's not a road. The roads which we took were not conducive to anything like that. It was much smaller, but we're going in this old car and you know, it's, it's a 30 year old, almost a 30 year old car. And it was, it, it you handle it uh, accordingly. So it was kind of like this, this, this buildup of, of like internal, like tension like of like, what am I going to do? What am I stepping into the car ride? All of that sort of stuff. So then we go and we, we arrive on Friday night and it was great. Like it was Khufu's got a Airbnb and that's where everyone was staying. And we get there kind of late and people talk for a little bit and there's a little bit of connecting. Ross is there, John's there, Khufu's there, a guy by the name of Wise was there. And so we go and eventually we, we, we go to bed, wake up the next morning and we get ready for the day. And I got, again, I got no idea what I'm stepping into, but the first part of the day is, is a tour. And I don't have to know what's, what I'm stepping into because the only thing I need to know is what I'm going to present and how long I need to present for. Like everything else, I'm just kind of, I'm just, I'm just a, a participant. So we, we are getting ready to go on this tour. When we go down the steps, we're in a part of Pittsburgh, which is known as I think it's called Deutschtown, and it's a historic district. 
And it's, you know, you can go pull it up and get an idea of why it's historical and what it looks like. But that's where we were. We come down the steps and there's an older guy there. Older guy there. And he, everyone's kind of talking around him. And I go and I figure out his name is, his name is Paradise Gray. And he was coming on the tour and Paris, Paradise Gray, it was or is, he's recognized now as one of the, the godfathers of, of the golden age of hip hop. Okay. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, that's why I texted familiar. <laughs> Do you, oh, you know who Paradise Gray is? Yeah. Yeah. I know about X clan. I know about. So their style guy, and how many, you know, I'm more familiar with the people that they influence, but yeah, for sure. So it's more so, so there was, from what I gathered, there was a, I'm pretty certain it was a club in, I think it was in Manhattan, which was called the Latin Quarter. And the Latin Quarter was the epicenter of, 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 of hip hop at that time. And Paradise Gray, he wore multiple hats. I think he may have been the manager or he, he, he was involved very much in that scene on many levels. And, you know, everything came through there. And then plus he was all of his, all of his other participants with, with the X-Clan and so forth. So his influence, and he's an archivist, you see now as the archivist. So to go and have that energy and then the entire time, and I, I go and I find out that one of the guys who who put, who put this together. Khufu, like, he was part of that, he was part of that movement. You know, I'm not exactly to what extent, but there's a spillover. There's a reason why uh, Paradise Gray was, was involved. And then Ras Naeem. And there was a very, very strong Rasta influence. So, so there was this mixture. There was this mixture of Rasta elder influence. And I don't know if you've ever been around a bunch of Rasta elders, but, but it is, the energy is held in a very, very strong and powerful and it like noticeable in your face way. And then you have like a mixture of all these people who are like really into the Susquehanna or, or the, the 40th parallel, the mystics of the 40th parallel stuff, which we Ross put out and everyone came together in this common ground. And we did not meet, if you were to look on the surface of the coming together, probably, I don't know, about 20 people. And we're all walking around. The first day was all walking around downtown um, Pittsburgh. And people, there was this magnetized sort of energy of, of, of the collection of all of the, the human beings who were there because everyone around us was both like, intrigued and confused at, at the same time because it didn't fit into their boxes. So we go and that's the first part of the day. And the second part of the day was the second part of the day was the presentation. And we go and, um, The, the, there was like a change in venues and the last moment they, they, the, the place they were originally going to do it fell through and they had to find this other place where we were going to go and present. And we drive to this place and 
Pittsburgh. I've never been to Pittsburgh before. We haven't even talked about the city because the city itself is fascinating, particularly about the purpose of what all of the decoding Pittsburgh was about. I'm just telling you like kind of like the backstory. So we go to, we go to this place and it is, it's, it's in, it's in the city of Pittsburgh, but it's, it's really far. I don't know how anyone would find it. And it's this half club, half, like a reception area. And we were like just in, in the club, like literally we gave a presentation in the club and there was this shared bathroom. And I was like, when else am I going to be in this, in this environment? I'm just kind of like just laughing at the, the, the humor of, of, of just how this is unfolding in this perfect way. And I'm getting ready for the presentation. And, and for the most part, I thought the only people who were going to come to it were, um, were people who were on the tour with us in the first half of the day. But a bunch of other people came to it who were not part of the tour, came to the presentation. And my first interaction was with, with someone who was, I mean, I would say borderline aggressive. It was oh. borderline aggressive coming up to me and be like, I understand you are going to present on behalf of the indigenous. Huh? And I was like, no, you know, but like, and I kind of had to meet that situation and then, and it worked out, everything worked out fine. And, I just, and the experience, and that's kind of what I'm talking about was this, 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 this being in this environment of all of these different people and settings and coming together really in this common ground of looking at reality, the situation which we were in. And it was, I mean, it was like family when we met up at the Wissahickon last year, but this was even more so. This was even more so. By the time we left, and this was one of the things that was said to me, and this was said by, to me by Wise, and he says to me, he's like, it was as if time stood still or time did not behave the way it should have. And I'm like, well, what do you mean by that? And he says, because the, the, the degree of familiarity I have with you, let me say this to me, is exceedingly different than having only spent two days with you. And that was the universal feeling, which I think everybody felt with everyone. So on the second day, and I'll tell you this, and then I'll give you an opportunity to ask questions or clarification, and we can go in a little bit deeper. On the second day, the second day was, the first day was about the geomancy, like looking at, at what exactly is happening in Pittsburgh from a municipality and a contemporary perspective. And then the second day, we were looking at mound sites and more natural places. And so we go to this mound site and this is so friggin' out in the out of the out of the the way of anything. Like uh like driving past the the railroad tracks and four turns after that. Like no one should be back there unless you live back there. We go out there and there is this this historical marker in the middle of a field and it just says this is the site of the McKees Rocks and it is the largest 
the largest known burial grap burial mound in the greater Pittsburgh area. It was just on this flat field. And we were just kind of, you know, laughing at the, the irony, but you could see where the mound site was, like by looking at the topography. And so it was in a very overgrown and and ignored part of the area and we just start climbing up it. Like it's not an, it's not a terribly difficult climb, but it was not exactly, it was, there was neither a path there. And it also had like a, a decent degree of the industrial waste that you would find in a wooded urban environment or a wooded area in an urban environment. So we go up there and we, you know, it was, it was this really kind of, it was a, it, it was just fun. It was fun and meaningful and all this sort of stuff. And so we come down, not everyone went to the top of the hill. And so we come down to the, to the bottom of the hill and we're all kind of still talking. We're getting ready to go to the next site and we all walk over to the car. And I don't know if you remember this, but there were, I told you the story when me and Ross met the first time face to face in, um, in the Wissahickon and this person came out of the I am temple, that house, which says the I am temple. And so, so the same thing happened again, same thing, the same, like not exactly the same, but the same modus operandi. So we're all walking from this, we're all walking to the cars and then out walks this like, you know, stereotypical from behind the track, 65 year old woman who's like walking out because this is her neighborhood. She lives in this like kind of like shanty looking house. And she's like, what are y'all doing out here? What are you, what are y'all doing out here? We're like, we're we're here to, we're here to see the mount. She's like, how do you know about this? How how do you know about this? And so what, what comes out, what we go and we learn is apparently, and we were sworn to secrecy. So I can't tell, I can't divulge the detail because we all had agreed upon like the, the, that we were going to, to, to remain with, with sealed lips until it is revealed by the appropriate sources, but something, something very meaningful along the lines of what we had just done on a very authentic level had just taken place. And that is known by a very, very small group of people, like some in the city and some, you know, obviously in the neighborhood because they saw what was happening, which is why this woman knew. And she said the people in this neighborhood take a great deal of responsibility for being the keepers of this land. Like it was really fascinating to hear like the, the, the degree of reverence which this, like, I don't know, this, 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 this woman who you probably, if you were to see her w- walking in Walmart, you probably would not think that that was in her consciousness, but this is deep in this woman's consciousness. And she was saying how, um, you know, that, that she was very protective of the area, was incredibly moved by the synchronicity that a group of 20 people came to this area, which she thought no one knew about. And we came at this, like the timing was perfect. And we would have had no idea if she did not come out and tell us this, we had, we would have had no idea that that just occurred. But that set the tone 
for what the 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 type of of awareness which was brought to the weekend. Wow, I think that I mean makes me it speaks to the quality of a certain area to pull people in. You know, maybe even people who you would think don't have maybe like a physical connection to the land in the sense that they weren't like their ancestors aren't from here, but they they were born here or they live there, you know, and it's that simple. And there's a certain energy. But I mean, again, there's a part of that that I'm missing naturally, but I'm excited to to hear that when that's revealed what that means but uh yeah keepers of the land i'm curious to to know more about that and how that connects to the mound it was so so i'll take a, a step back of, of like you know what the purpose and what was happening in this for this event so these two guys who live in pittsburgh kufu and john who are not natives of pittsburgh or somehow became aware of mine and Ross's work together and particularly around the 40th parallel and started, and that inspired them to look around the city, which they were living in. And they were dumbfounded by how in your face, all of this stuff was. And so they invited first Ross and then extend the invitation to me to for Ross to go and do a similar type of presentation as he did with as he did with Philadelphia, and and then I was asked to take a look at the area as well. But where where this really where the presentation really kind of came together, and particularly of the leading of the tours and the nights, was Ras Naim. Now Ras Naim is is I guess you would categorize it. Well, I mean I guess it's all relative, but certainly as an elder. And he is, I would say about six foot four, six foot four, a striking figure. And he carries himself in a, in a very bold manner. The, the, the tone and the, the quality and the resonance of his voice and what he has to say. And so Ross Naim was born and raised in Pittsburgh and he has an immense, an immense amount of love for Pittsburgh, almost more than I think I've ever seen any contemporary person have for where they are born. Okay. He's got, he's got a sense of, of love and, and a, 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 a proud being from that part of the world. But in his journey, he was not able to support his business venture, which is called infinite creations. And he relocated, he relocated like down in 2005 and in Columbia, South Carolina. And what he does is he makes copper onks. He makes, he makes, uh, many, many higher or jewelry and tools for higher consciousness people. And he sells his stuff at, at shows and at, at, at places. And he's, he does, he is, he, he is at the top of his craft and he's able to, to, to 
live in this world living that way and support a very large family and, and the recognition of what he does and 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 how he handles himself is a big part of of his experience but he was not able to do it in Pittsburgh so the fact that he was able to return to Pittsburgh the fact that this was set up by John and Khufu who were not from Pittsburgh and then they brought in me and Ross who are not from Pittsburgh and that set up the structure and then at the end of the day it was the Ross Naim show <laughs> yes we presented but he brought the energy and the spirit of what was happening there and what it was was a decoding of the municipality with an understanding that there is an intrinsic value in this land that we call Pittsburgh which is expressed through the the cultural way in in excellence in a lot of ways but it is all in excellence relative to the the value system of the culture but nonetheless it is part of the sickness of the culture and so to bring all of that understanding sounds so like we, Sounds like Ross Naim is the headliner and you guys were the openers in, in comedy turns. Maybe Ross Ben was like the, the feature and you're the, what, you're the opener? Without a doubt. But the irony was like no one came to see Ross Naim. Right. That's the irony. If it would have been like, if, and that was like, and so there was an organic quality. So do you remember last fall when I was talking about how me and Ross me and Ross then did that show in Kutztown. Yeah. Okay. Now, the reason why we did that show in Kutztown is because Ross was given uh, a free booth. Someone bought a booth and was not able to attend. And so they gave it to Ross Ben. And Ross like, listen, it was a big booth. Would you like to come in and we could do this together? That's what he said to me. And so try to guess who the person who gave Ross Ben that booth was. <laughs> Ross Naeem. Ross Naeem. So it comes full circle. So we create this event. Two people don't know Ross Naeem. They knew Ross Ben who invited me. We came in the event which then created the landing foundation for Ross Naeem to have his homecoming. And he started, and, and the irony was that same weekend, Kutztown was having another cannabis festival. <laughs> <laughs> like it was, it, it was magnetized. That's all I can say. It was, and, and so, okay, so, so this is what I see coming out of it. So this is what I see coming out. We've got a ton of footage. We've got so much content. And a lot of it is like, when Ross Dain just starts talking, like he'll, he'll talk for 20 minutes. He'll just give a 20 minute like sermon off the top of his head. And he carries himself away. Like everyone just stops and listens. So we've got like all of that. And then we've got everything else, which was showcased. It wasn't just him. There was uh, Ross Maish. Like he was, he was to me, he was, he carried the note where, where, I mean, everyone there, like I, I, it was so for me as a human being on my journey with the experiences that I've had and not had to go and be here in this, in the scenario that I was, it was the most beautiful gift I 
you know, it, it just keeps getting better and better is all I can say. Sounds amazing. And, and so all of these people, all of these people. And so we're going to go and have access to that. Like, because it was all recorded, the tours, the presentations, you know, I'll probably give the presentation again, but people are going to watch it and they're going to be like, I want to go to Pittsburgh. <laughs> well, Pittsburgh's in, like it's an awesome city. I'll tell you that right now. Like, like I, the bar was set for me so low with coming to Baltimore. I went to Pittsburgh and I'm just like, like I, I thought I was going to walk in and I was going to hate it. And I was like, this is the cleanest city I've ever seen. This is like, you know, it's so manageable. And the way it is in the mountains, it is, it is, and it's, it's a pilgrimage. Like that was the work which we, which we, which we, we revealed was this is a place you're going to want to go. This has a historical significance. That's why, that's why there's so much around here. And we tell the history and you begin to understand what this is pointing at. And it is a homecoming. And so what I'm going to see is like probably the thing which, which John created, like all of these tours and these places to go, like, you know, there's going to be this, this like mystical, like tourism industry in Pittsburgh, like probably John would be running or someone else. Like, you know, there's, there's so much going on. And so I see that happening. I see probably myself going back to Pittsburgh at some point, but even more exciting, and I'm going to loop it back to this was what you said about in the loop was that the Columbus show is like, this is seemingly catching on like people. It's not so much about, about, about the, the race of, of like, let me go and find the, the, the hidden mystery. It's, it's like, let me like get connected to, to this space and let me share it with other people who get it. And we're like, something real is happening something real is happening and this is what it looks like. And this is like, you know, this is the second stop, you know, by the 40th stop, like it's going to be very self evident at the time, but it is just taking form right now. And it's taking form in a way that could not be anticipated. Well, and it's, it's an expanding fractal because what you and Ross have done decoding, uh, microcosmic level or regional level of the country that's inspiring people to you know take that same approach like you said these guys were watching from the 40th parallel i mean i was just talking today to a very very interesting character who's up in wisconsin doing the same thing we both know travis out in montana then you know there's multiple different people who have messaged us throughout the you know course of this podcast thomas who supports us on patreon and we have ryan out there in italy you know talking about what's going on in massachusetts and then of course what i'm looking into here in connecticut so yeah i think this is this is something that you know we're all sort of i don't know riding a, a certain wave without a doubt without a doubt and all we're doing, and, and this, and I, as I indicated, like it wasn't about the tour. It wasn't about like the the mental, like abstract stuff. It was about meeting people. It was about meeting people that after a weekend, you're like, why does it feel like I I'm just I know you so well. And so like I got so this this dude so this dude <laughs> this dude why. 
<laughs> so he lives in Indianapolis. And like, as soon as you see Wise, like he just carries himself, he carries himself in, in, in just such a way like that, that you take notice and it's really, really smooth. And it's like, he's got this deep, deep voice. And um, he was an MC. And the way Khufu explained it, he was like, back in the day, Wise was the was Khufu, who I think has a very, when he says something like this, he comes from a very, very high, like, whose opinion matters. He's like, this is top four. This is top four in of the people who I have seen. And he's telling me about, like, his wordplay and the layers of his wordplay. And I go and I meet this guy and, and I'm watching him from, from this, like, we're the same age, we're the same age and we've got these different stories and we're seeing something in each other, which is a reflection and we're laughing at it. And we're like, I'm looking in the mirror. Like there was so much, which was like paralleled in both the way we carry ourselves and in the, like what we do, but also it's so friggin' different. And I think everyone was having experiences like that. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. Of all ages. It sounds like of we need to ages. get these folks on the podcast and have them, you know. I think, I think, <laughs> all right. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I think that I think that would be. You know what? I think that would be good. I think that's exactly how how we should go forward with it. Let me ask you this: You mentioned you mentioned a moment a little while ago uh, that you had you had a lot going on in your life this past weekend. So I want to give you an opportunity to ask me any last questions about Pittsburgh. But if you don't have any, I'm ready to move off of that topic. And I want to go and hear about what you, what was going on with you this weekend. No, I have a lot of questions. So, all right. So, and it, they kind of braid into what I was saying here, but there's a river. But when I say saying here, I mean within Connecticut, because yes, that's that's something I'd love to to share because it is on the top of my head. But but they were discussing a river that flowed from south to north, and he made a similar comment that I made last year to you of like you know that's not a common thing, right? I mean, a lot of people see that on a map. A lot of rivers just seem to flow from north to south, or maybe even east to west for whatever reason. Not a lot of them flow you know, north to south, unless maybe they're on the north side of a mountain. You know, he made the comment that there's a river that flows from south to north in Pittsburgh. You guys said that there's four rivers that that meet, and I'm just wondering if you can expand on that at all. And then also I want to know what you presented. I mean, you didn't tell us where your uh, research came into the, to the play, and I'm also wondering, you know, the hinds, we discussed that they're skull and bones. How do they come into the picture as well? I know that's like uh, three big questions, but maybe so, just focus on the first one about the river. All right. So the first question was, so the rivers are set up this way. It is, you have the Allegheny, which is kind of coming from, it's coming Northwest. It, it originates in pretty, either New York or Northern Pennsylvania. And then you have what's called the Mon, which that is the nickname, and I don't know how to pronounce the full name, and they come together. And then where they come together is known as the point. 
and the fourth under underground river historically comes through and comes through that point and enters in at that con- at the confluence of the Mon and the Allegheny. At the Mon and the Allegheny is the is where the Ohio River forms. So the Ohio River, that plus the Missouri River, make the are their confluence makes the Mississippi. And I think the Missouri River, if you want to go by like length, maybe size wise, Missouri might be thought of as the more significant river, but mythologically Ohio is thought of as you mean Mississippi river. Well, the Missouri flows into the Mississippi river. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. So the Missouri river and the Ohio river, their confluence then becomes the Mississippi. Okay. And it's confusing because we've got all these States, right? (laughs) Yeah. State names. and, And so the Ohio river is by looking at the, his, the, the, the number of mounds and the rising of the mounds and what they represent going up the Mississippi, then they go up the Ohio and they come to this area of Pittsburgh. And so they say Pittsburgh is, is the birthplace of the Ohio River, but the Ohio River is really like the, the is the, that's just a name. Because it begins, you can look at it either as beginning at the Allegheny or the Mon, where those sources are, right? Mm-hmm. Because those two rivers come together. And what I thought was so interesting, because I'm so familiar with the Susquehanna River. The Susquehanna River, river is labeled this way. You have the primary west, like most large river systems, like there's a large Y where there's a primary confluence of two river systems coming together. And in the Susquehanna's case, this is how it's rivered or labeled, excuse me, the west branch, the west branch of the Susquehanna, the north branch of the Susquehanna, and then the lower branch of the Susquehanna. And the three parts are all collectively known in people's minds as the Susquehanna. Now, the lowest part of the lower part of the Susquehanna, where it turns into an estuary, is called the Chesapeake Bay. So people think that's different. That's known as spell casting. You think of these things which are literally the same as different. But like we, we see that in that example. Now, let's apply that same sort of logic to what we, the Mississippi. So the Mississippi River is, would be the equivalent of what's known as the lower Susquehanna in terms of labeling. It's where the main confluence takes place, and they, and they, and they label it a certain number. And then on the two sides of the Y, which of the primary confluence, where the two major river systems come together, on the Susquehanna, where both the west and the north have Susquehanna in the name, they're completely separate in the Mississippi, one called the Missouri, the other called the Ohio, giving the, 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 the implication that these are separate. But it's all the same. Like, if we can look at them as the same in this, then they should all be the same. So then going one step even further, we could see that there's a confluence that begins with the Mon and the, Alleg- the Allegheny. And maybe you could say the reason why they all want to, be na- they want to be named separately is because each one of them is such a profound geographical uh, feature on itself. And like, yeah, okay. But it still masks the truth that that's a primary water system. And at the beginning of where they call Ohio is where the four rivers come together. It's where Pittsburgh, which is a city culturally, which is at the epicenter of the blending of art and science, which is what I would say these, these rivers 
represent the Mon and the Allegheny, these different, we could look at it archetypically of primordial art, primordial science, they're coming together. That's like this, this birthplace into the Ohio, which then becomes the Mississippi, which then dumps down into, into, the, into the Gulf of Mexico. So look at that as like a system, like a system of hierarchies of influence. And so then we tap into, we tap into, to that, that explanation, what might be thought of as, as, as indigenous science or indigenous wisdom. And we'll be like, okay, well, what did they know these areas as? And they knew the area which predated, that predated the spell casting of Pittsburgh. Like that is a geographical function of where the rivers come together and all this stuff happened, they it was known as the umbilical cord right. because there was an there was an understanding of this being a connection to to the primary home, like a literal connection, not a symbolic connection, but but on a on the level where there is no separation between literal and symbolism. It's all the same. Like yes, it's all of those things. And so when we, we begin to then take in consideration the significance of the land that we call Pittsburgh, what's actually happening there, we begin, that's why I say like, it's a pilgrimage. So like, okay, now I get it. Okay, that's what it is. And it makes sense. And there's like, you know, I can go there and have like a real adventure. Like I could, you know, it's like, this is part of what this experience is of, of where we are right now with everyone decoding their cities because we're beginning to recognize this is what people used to do. They would like live their lives and then they would like go places or like import, like things will have meaning. I'm going to go on this journey to have this like connection with, with the mother. So, okay, so I went in my presentation, I talked about the basics in psychology about the importance of home, about why the stable home is so important to the establishment of the, what we're going to call the, the inner world or the emotional slash psychological structure that makes the individual. And so then we can look at what home represents in all these different ways. But, but the, the truism, the principle of home and the human being is the beginning. There has to be a strong foundation. And every human being is like, you know, we've got two primary homes. Like, you know, one is the womb of your mother. And then the greater one is, is the connection to the understanding of, of home, of, the, of, of you being at home on earth. And this is where it gets so friggin' significant, where it gets so significant. This is where you need the stability and this transition. Because when you are literally in the mother's womb, and all of us took, had experience in physical form somehow in your mother's womb, like that is, there, there, there's no other way about that. When, when that happened to you, you know, that steps outside of like what the human experience is and like what it means to be in a body. Like let's not even deal with that, but it recognize that there's a thing there, but, but, but it doesn't matter. We just know it, it, it happens and we can look at the actual reality to, to get to those levels of depth. You were in the womb and when you were in the womb, your first true home, everything was provided for you. Everything was provided for you. You didn't have to worry about a thing. 
just like you know, you look at at, at whether we want to say the the animal world or even the the the, the tree world, if you will, because I like to talk about trees a lot. Like everything is provided, everything is provided, and so looking at the sickness of the modern condition for the human being is the 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 recognition that built within every human being of the modern culture has been drilled into your psychological emotional structure that that not everything is provided like quite literally you have to pay to exist and we can trace that back to like like different types of friggin' rituals. Like this is done. And before we go down the rituals, I just want to say that, like, you know, there's a level of truth. The only way you can learn what I'm suggesting is by getting lost in the wilderness. <laughs> like, you know, you can take that. There, I, that makes a lot of sense to me. So, so we don't want to go down the path of like the bad guys who are making this happen, but we want to recognize, yeah, they're, they're, they're like, <laughs> they're, they're bad behaviors that make this happen. And when we go through and we look at what was done, you know, the demystifying and the decoding of how that was done in Pittsburgh and specifically how it began with the, the disconnecting of people from home in a symbolic, magical way. And then the constant, the constant moving of people away from their homes, you know, whether you were to look at that of what was done 400 years ago, 4,000 years ago. 40 years ago, 40 weeks ago. I mean, we could go and look at like this whole idea of gentrification and like, or even urban mobility, like not having any roots anywhere. You know, we can look at that as how that could fit into part of this issue, part of this sickness. Now I'll also say that there's a, there's a cure within that, but you can't talk about the cure until you get to the sickness. And so how do you go and you first address that? is you demystify it. And that's what the presentation was all about, is the demystification. This is how it's done. This is how it's done. Right. Right. And did you get the message I sent you, the photo? Let me go look. So what are we looking at right here? So that's a map. That's a map of the rivers of the United States and the rivers are designated in white, but just to highlight the major rivers, I took, you know, my finger and used a marker on my phone and drew like the major rivers in blue there. So we have sort of, and let me look at it. Wow, Mark. Wow. And is that like, what's the, what's the loop where Pittsburgh is? Well, that circle there, I just circled Pittsburgh. I mean, didn't really need to, but kind just because there's together. so many rivers there, I figured. And Susquehanna kind of branches up that way, too. And then you even see, I mean, like you described, the Missouri River is, like, huge. It's collecting all this water, you know, from the Rockies, and, and that's all coming down. And then the Arkansas River as well, the Mississippi going all the way up to the Great Lakes region. And what it what is the river that goes through South? It looks like through South Carolina, Georgia. Let me hold on. Let me look at the map. Is that the Tennessee? I think that's the Tennessee. 
or at least part of it is. Yeah, it's the Tennessee, which then branches through smaller rivers into the Savannah River. So those kind of make like a like what you're saying, where they divide this waterway into different names, creating this illusion that there are all these separate bodies of water. And in reality, when you map it out like that, it's like, wow, there is an incredible, and this doesn't even connect the canals because I'm sure there's plenty of man-made canals that are in, in the mix here as well. But, you know, yeah. Wow. Like, and, and this, in my opinion, this really highlights part of the significance of Pittsburgh because you could see what the, the the northeast where we have the Susquehanna and the Delaware the De- that whole area and how that kind of it meets up when I was driving west there was a marker which I thought was fascinating when you go over I think it's the Allegheny Mountain when you're going west and that's one of like the 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 dividers of you know these long ridges that make up the the Appalachians. So when you go over the Allegheny, that separates what is labeled, what, this, what, what they label as the Chesapeake Bay watershed. So the other side of the mountain, on the eastern side, it says you're now entering or you're now in the Chesapeake Bay watershed, which implies, I'm assuming the other side, it has to be the Mississippi because that's the, that everything's going to go into the Ohio. Right. And so we can see where that meets. But the thing which is funny is they call it the Chesapeake, but it's not the Chesapeake. It's the Susquehanna. It's the Susquehanna's watershed. Like, like it is accurate to go and say it's the Chesapeake because that's the bay and the Susquehanna empties into that. And there's like an element of truth. But when we start looking at it in terms of the river systems and like recognizing like it's not just, it's not limited to, it's not limited to just like this, this, material mundane geography of this is where the water goes. Right. You know, this is, this is how, this is how, this is where the life goes. This is how, this is how life on the surface is, is influenced or directed or controlled. Well, I do want to get into more of this, but I kind of got, I lost focus because I realized I have a podcast scheduled right now. But yeah, I, I think the Skull and Bones and Connecticut stuff deserves an entire episode anyways. But uh, but yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. And I, I mean, I'm looking at this map I drew and the river system is just incredible. So I don't know how Connecticut fits in. We might be a little isolated pocket up here, but, but I don't know. We'll see. Well, the, well, I think what we're doing is we're recognizing how the, everything is connected. Right. So, I mean, just the idea that it's not connected is, is part of like the, the, the sickness. Mm. Like, of course it's connected. And then we have all of these other lines, like, you know, the way the, the, the ley lines, are feel much more like the, the like you know the nervous system, if you will, hmm. versus the the river is like the circulatory system, and there's a certain parallel which they share. Well, where can people go and check out these presentations? Are they going to be so? I don't. Hitting I don't, the, I, the web anytime soon? Yes, great question. I don't know. We've just got the we've just got the raw material right now, so it needs to be edited. It needs to like and and you know what? 
figuring out like what we want to do, like how, how it's going to be managed. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of pieces to that puzzle. <coughs> so I, I don't have the answers yet. All right. Well, stay tuned folks. And I think we gave them quite a, a heaping helping of an episode today, two hours, uh, to make up for last week, but I did put the, uh, from the 40th parallel, the most recent episodes up. Like I said, I couldn't find the, the 13th episode, but, but yeah, this has been fun, Mike. I'm excited to, to keep listening to the decoding Pittsburgh stuff and, you know, finish that up. And then maybe we'll conclude some of this next time we talk, hopefully sooner than later. So we get another episode for next week, but, but yeah, great great chat sounds fantastic Mark I'll talk to you soon <laughs>